one thing that uh, from my mentors, they always told us, you always you always want to figure out why they're selling and you want to press on those pain points. You always, especially in negotiations and, and talking to that uh, seller, you're always pressing, not always pressing because you don't want to be manipulative, but you are tapping all those pain points. Like, look, I understand that you want to leave because, you know, somebody just passed away and you just want to be rid of this property. And I, I want to be the person that helps you do that. Right. You know I'm saying like, like, let's go ahead and move forward as quickly as possible, because I, I know that you just want this property off of your hands. So let's go ahead and, and take the steps to go ahead and do that. Speaking to that person's pain and letting them know that you are the solution to that pain point. You know, that can give you the advantage over uh, somebody who's just sending in offers. They don't have they have no idea, you know, what's going on in this person's life. They're just trying to grab this property. If you have that connection with the seller, you know, what I'm saying you, you do have an advantage. So- Hey, welcome to Uncommon, a state of mind where we debate different ways to leverage your next investment to create time freedom, legacy impact, and generational wealth so you can live that uncommon life. But in order to do that, we must be uncommon. My name is Joey, a.k.a. Mr. J. Mays. Hey, and I'm Adam Ladaldu, also known as AD the Fly Realtor. Yes. So we are back on our uh, series. We already completed... Uh, our first three episodes of it, I'm going to get pass it to AD before I mess this up. <laughs> <laughs> the first three episodes were uh, finding your realtor or your agent. Episode number two was securing financing. Episode three was um, beginning the property search. And today we are going into offers and negotiations. Boom. And this is actually the last step uh, of our series. So, guys, pay attention. A lot of awesome nuggets in here for you to take into finding your next deal. Okay. So, with that being said, brother, how's your day been? It's been good, but I do want to touch on something real quick. Go ahead. So, you actually mentioned to me recently about how the Hollywood strikes are affecting uh, the short-term rental market. And I thought this was really cool for us to touch on because I didn't even think about this, but this, these are the kind of things that you beginning investors need to consider uh, when you're picking your market or you're picking your asset type or whatever you want to get into. Mm. So please just, if you can, quickly touch on that for us. Well, yeah. So uh, we, me personally, I, I do a lot of business in, in uh, SoCal, you know, uh, SoCal area, what, uh, Hollywood, locations around Los Angeles. And for somebody who has a market of or, or a lead base coming from, you know, Hollywood or film production, um, this potential strike has it, it could pretty much slow down the revenue of your business, especially if you know that's one of your main lead magnets flowing through your business. I, I've already ran into operators who have, you know, their numbers aren't the same this year because of the strike that's going on in Hollywood. And, um, you know, they have to find other lead sources or depend more on the OTAs to cover their cover their bases or cover their expenses for this month and uh, to cover profit margins and whatnot. So. Uh, that just goes to, to tell you that like you really need to pay attention of what's going on in your local market, uh, in your local area, things that could potentially harm um, your business. You know what I mean? Like so that one, that one was a big one, and it's affected a few people around here. So uh, you know, thanks for bringing that up. Actually, yeah, no, because like when you mentioned it to me, I really thought that that was actually a cool thing to bring up because I was like, whoa. You know what I mean? Like, I'm in real estate, you know, like, I think about work on real estate every single day, and it didn't even occur to me, like, how that could impact 
short-term rental operators in Los Angeles right. and Hollywood area. And then not, not even just L.A., even the outskirts of L.A. in the Valley where yeah. you know a lot of movie production takes place. So, you know, that's something for you beginners to consider. Like, okay, are you investing in areas where the job market is strong and stable? Mm-hmm. You know, because it's one thing to be recession-proof, but then how likely are is a strike? Right. You know what I mean? Hollywood, that's one of the industries that you never think would go away. But they're <laughs> on strike right now. Right. Not just the actors, but the writers, too. So yeah. that's a big thing to me. So. It is it, it is pretty huge, bro. And um, honestly, like, and that's why you always need to uh, diversify in even your lead sources, right? Uh, for some, like I know me, I, I, I gear towards business travelers. But it doesn't mean that I won't take vacation uh, rental travelers as well. You know what I'm saying? But I know that my my property is primed for business travel. And sometimes you may need to pivot in order to fit the times. Um, So just be aware of that uh, moving forward. Right, right. Cool, cool. Um, So. Yeah, so how was your day, bro? How's the drive? uh, The drive was smooth, man. Um, You know, it's a weekday, so not much traffic today. Um, I got here. It was hot as you know what. Mm. Um, But outside of that, I can't complain. Excited to shoot today. Uh, We've taken a few weeks off, so it's good to be back. Yeah. Yeah. How you doing? How's your week been? Busy, bro. Yeah. Always Always busy. But, um, yeah, excited to shoot, man. That's what's up. That's what's up. Let's make this happen. So let's get right into it, man. All Um, right. So pretty much... uh, what is it? Uh, operations? No, sorry. It's negotiations and putting them offers. Offers and negotiations. Offers yeah. and negotiations. That's what we're covering today. Awesome. So step number one, the first thing you're going to want to do, build rapport. Build rapport with the seller and or seller's agent. This is really important because what you want to do, what tends to happen a lot of times in real estate transactions or negotiations is, one side feels like we're enemies with the other side and the other side feels like that too. So you don't want uh, you don't want a mood where people are like, no, like we got to do what we got to do and they don't care about us. You don't want that. You want to develop an open flow of communication. You want them to feel like they can come to you with their desires, with their issues, and uh, hopefully with the truth about the problems or the lack thereof of the property. So to do that is best to build rapport first. Mm. I've seen situations where just because I've asked an agent how his day was going or he told me about something last week and I asked him about that when I call him today, I like I physically see them soften up and relax and they're like, you know what, like actually this tenant, we're dealing with this and this with them. So it's good to do that. You just want to build that rapport. So I actually have a question because I mean Building rapport, you can just say, like, yeah, go build rapport with somebody. But some people, especially if you're socially awkward, like, you're like, how do I just, like, if some people are not good, like, with small talk, like, I'm not a great small talker. Neither you know what I'm saying? That makes us both. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, so in order for it not to feel, like, fabricated, what are the best, do you have any, do you have any like, uh, tactics and ways to build rapport? <laughs> That's so crazy. Um, this isn't, pr- like, top-notch advice at all, but personally... Like what I do is I know people like to talk about themselves and people like to talk about what they got going on. So I ask questions. I ask questions about your day. I ask questions about, you know, what's going on. I ask questions about what you're getting into. I just ask questions because people like to talk about themselves. What based on their response is how I know how I need to operate. You know, some people will 
start going into conversation and keep on going with you. And then you can, you know, let that transpire and then eventually redirect it back to what you need to talk to. But some people, they're like, look, let's get to business. So it's like, all right, I could do that, too. (laughs) I prefer that. I don't want to have this small talk. Small talk, um, I'm barely starting to get better at it, but... For most of my life, it's been kind of a cringe experience. It is very cringy. <laughs> you know, like, but weather. <laughs> right. I'm like, all right, dude. Like, it we is. know it's 95 degrees. We get it. I don't know how much more. Like, I didn't look at the forecast today. Right. Like, it, it gets so, sometimes it gets my day. Like, yeah, traffic on the 405. Was so right. Crazy. Yes. Weather, traffic. Uh, what else is there, man? Like, Nonsense, you know, the yo. basic stuff. Yeah. I, it's just hard to. I can't. Yeah, I can't. But anyways, that's, that's, a good, <laughs> that's a good tip, though, uh, for, for people moving forward. Um, but, okay, go on to the next step. So one is yeah. building rapport with the seller, which, is, you know, is awesome. It's, it's an awesome yes. strategy. Uh, step number two is going to be set your priorities. So this is important, especially for beginners, because a lot of times what you see with beginners is they'll listen to podcasts like this one or they'll listen to some other real estate podcasts and they hear how people are getting these amazing deals, which is cool. That's really dope. But a lot of beginners get into the mindset of, oh, it needs to have all these things. And if you can get that, that's a home run. That's solid. That's perfect for you. I'm happy for you. Be blessed. But you don't want to get into the mode of just asking for all kinds of things that maybe aren't as important mm. as you, you know, it, it's more of just a win on the scoreboard for you, but it's not going to affect the deal. Got it. But then for you, you're just at making an ask for the seller or the person on the other side of the negotiation table. It's like, why is this person asking for so much stuff? Mm. Like, you know what I mean? You get that counter offer especially if you're using a real estate contract or a counter offer form, there's like just different lines. Mm. And then they see all these lines of things you desire in the deal. That's a lot. <laughs> you know, that's a lot. And it makes people feel like they're trying to take advantage trying of it over. Or, yeah, exactly. They don't just want a good deal. They're really just trying to just get whatever they can from me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's why it's important to set your priorities. You don't want to just be asking for all these mundane things that don't matter in the end. Okay, so like in regards to in regards to setting your priorities, like say you're you're going after this house, you know, I mean, your first investment, what are the basic probably the most important priorities to go ahead and list in order to to make the deal happen? I mean, that's hard to say for generically just because that changes case by case. Got it. You know, some deals, it's important to ask for a tenant to be removed. Some deals, maybe that, maybe no tenants need to be removed, or maybe it's a vacant, uh, maybe it's a fourplex with one occupied unit. Okay, so let's, let's, let's make a scenario up. So it's a fourplex. Okay. It it's, has tenants in it right now. Okay. Um, it needs work. Um, you know what I mean? Uh, and it's I don't know what other what other uh, criteria could we add to it? How close to market rent are the tenants currently paying? They're, they're, because that's a big factor. There we go. So they're paying just they're paying like maybe two hundred bucks on their market rent. I mean, if it needs work, that depends on my seller and how they're buying. Okay. Because if if they're paying close to market rent, a lot of my seller, a lot of my buyers, I said seller, a lot of my <laughs> buyers are value-add buyers. So they're looking to increase the value of a property, which 
having occupied units can get in the way of that. But uh, if they're paying close to market rent, that leads me to believe that there might not be that much value to add in that property. Mm. You know what I mean? So it might not be a good deal. So uh, there might be other things we need to look at that we can use as our priorities. You know what I mean? Or to see what really is a priority. Or if, like I said, if you're strictly trying to add value, that might not be your deal. Mm. Because if you're trying to add value, you're looking for low rents. You're right. looking for usually low rents. If it's occupied, you want the rents to be able to sustain whatever loan products you're using. Got it. Okay, so let's say it's low rents then. It's not okay. close to rent. It's low rents and needs work. Um, and, you know, you're, you're looking for some stipulations to put in there to, to acquire this property. What are the best ones to put in? Um, so I would say uh, this is if you want to do cash for keys. If you have the money to do cash for keys, if you want to offer, you know, 5, 10, 15, even 20,000 to a specific tenant for them to move out. You come up with a quick contract, there's nothing too crazy at all, um, and you like have a conversation with them about what it would look like, what they would get, how quickly they would get their money, and how soon they would need to be out of the unit. Mm-hmm. That's possible, or you ask the seller to remove tenants you know, before escrow closes or by the time escrow closes, or have a contract in place for them to move out shortly after escrow closes. Mm. So those are two options. A lot of sellers don't like dealing with uh, vacating units. Um, Either they held it for a long time and they have tenants that they don't feel comfortable asking them to leave, or they just don't want to deal with it, or they don't want to pay tenants. So Mm. those, that's the, that's something you have to navigate in negotiations and you have to see how willing they may be. I ask people all the time, like, all right, well, is the seller willing to vacate any units? And then if they say no or absolutely not, then I'm like, okay, well, is the seller okay with us speaking with the tenants about a possible cash for keys situation? Got it. I ask that as well because we we need to know what our options are before getting into it. Agreed. Awesome. That's a good point. Um, Thank you. Good (laughs) questions, too. Um, Number three, stay emotionally detached. So this um, is pretty self-explanatory, but really... you. Really, in all situations in life, <laughs> really, you want to stay emotionally detached. You really want to try and operate with as much logic as possible. Um, I think we mentioned a couple weeks ago where um, a seller may, maybe the counter offer you get back, they said something or put something in it, you get all mad and upset. Right. That's not going to serve you. Like anger is one of those emotions that it only serves you in specific purposes, but most situations, Anger isn't a good emotion right. to operate off. Do of. you know what what scenario comes up in mind when you talk about this? Huh? When me, you, and Donovan try to get that dude out of his. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> See, man. Yo, so, Joey has a friend who's a realtor also, and he pro- he showed Joey this deal where it's a man who's like behind on this house. He's put so much money into it, and he needed to sell. So Joey brought me. And we're talking to this guy trying yeah. to negotiate maybe an off-market deal, something of that sort. And I got emotional like he, because the stuff he was saying Man. was just out of this world. And I was like, that like, doesn't first, even make well, sense. First of, all, like, <laughs> first of all, one of the scenarios or what he said was he wanted to return the house back to what it was before he moved in. I'm like, no, you don't want to do that. You want to you see what the market's doing. 
you want to mimic what's going on in the market and what's causing you know value uh, uh, values for houses to drive up in the market, and you want to mimic that. You don't want to return it back to what you had it before. You're not going right. to sell for very much. <laughs> but he was just like he was just so adamant, and he didn't know what he was talking about. Yeah. And the the saddest part is. I don't even know what ended up happening to him. I was keeping it. I was keeping up with that property. Afterward. Did you hear what it sold for? No, what, bro? So how much, the house was worth. What did he want for it? It was like eight hundred. He wanted like close to nine. nine. I think. I think yeah. he sold it for like five. With and see, I'm really annoyed right now because I should have kept in touch with yeah. him yeah. because I would. My according to my numbers, it could have worked for close to six. Remember, yeah. I told him. Yeah. I told him about five, and he was like, oh, absolutely not. Right. People are trying to steal it from me. And I was like, dude, like. I'll tell you what. That's probably <laughs> bad on us. We probably should have followed up on we that We should have followed up. So, but, uh, yeah. But, there it is. Lesson yeah. learned. <laughs> anyways, like I said, if yeah. I had stayed emotionally detached, I would have followed up with him. But because yeah. I got emotional about it, I was like, I'm not even talking to this yeah, man no man. more. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was a good flip. Mm. Um, listen and observe. All right. So this is. Uh, kind of along the lines of building rapport, but listen and observe because what you're going to want is you want to hear the cues in the language being iterated to you by the seller or the seller's agent. You want to hear what's important to them because what that's going to do is give you an opportunity to find out their motivations and that can help you craft your negotiation strategy. So maybe, for instance, it's a situation where they maybe they're elderly and they just want some kind of retirement plan maybe they don't need a lump sum of money maybe they just want money every month that might be a a, a opportunity for some creative financing Mm. you know where you just pay them out every month out of the uh rent you're you're getting from those units or maybe it's uh i don't know whatever it could be maybe they need to move out quickly Mm. you need to see like okay maybe i need to find a way to have a quicker close but understanding what their needs are, that's only going to help you in the future and with the negotiation process. Because what you absolutely don't want is to not have a clue of what their desires or motivations are. And you're just like spitballing or making offers that you think are great. And they're like, this isn't really it. Yeah. You know what I mean? So you really want to be aware of that. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Number five, inspect the property. Mm. So... I actually advise for everybody to conduct a property inspection. Those that are very savvy or very experienced, maybe they don't need to. I get it. But especially beginners, I really think inspecting the property is important. Not just so you can know what's going on with that asset, but then also because let's say the roof is in horrible condition and the listing said nothing about a bad roof or nobody ever told you about a roof in bad condition. That's now a negotiation point that you can take back and it's like, you know what? Maybe we negotiated for seven fifty. This is gonna cost at least forty thousand. I'll like now my offer is at six ninety. Exactly. Whatever it might be, you know what I mean? It could be anything, or maybe you uh maybe you have pipes bursting in the wall mm. and they didn't know, maybe they didn't know, or maybe they didn't tell you. Either one could happen. So it's like that's why it's important to have a negotiation. You really want to know what kind of asset you're getting into beforehand. To be honest with you, the way that I was taught is you make sure that it's in your contract that uh, the sale of this property, the sale of the property is um, subject to the, the um, inspection. 
So, all right. So we're kind of going to touch on that. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. So let's, depending on how you're buying the property, yeah. if you're using a loan or if you're an, a cash buyer, it might be more advantageous to you to put no inspection contingency and or no loan contingency mm-hmm. in that. So what that means is um, if I'm using an FHA or a conventional loan, there the bank isn't going to let you get, buy a property without that inspection and that inspection can hold up mm-hmm. the deal mm-hmm. if they feel if they feel as if there's too much damage in there for somebody to go and purchase this property as a primary residence whether it's a single family condo or two to four unit so um but like i said if you're using other pro- loan types or your funding is different than those standards it might be advantageous to you to put no inspection contingency. That doesn't mean that you don't get an inspection. So a good realtor or a good agent knows how you can get out of a deal, even if you have no contingencies on it. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean to not get any inspection. Okay. Like, that's kind of crazy. Right. <laughs> yeah. right, right. So that's, that's, just, that's just the way that we did it. We made sure that we had a subject to inspection. So that way, no matter what, you know, uh, what was going on and understand as the buyer of a property, you hold a lot of the power. You hold most of the power, actually. Most of the power. <laughs> so, you know. In a standard contract, you hold most of the power. Yeah, exactly. So you can go in and inspect. And as AD said, you can use some of the things that you find as negotiation tactics to go ahead and lower that purchase price. Um, yeah. um, but I think that's all I got on that, bro. That's That's good stuff. Cool, cool. So moving right along. Uh, this is understand seller's perspective. So kind of linked back to that listen and observe, but understanding their perspective means you really need to know why, uh, know, knowing why that seller can, why that seller is selling can help you tailor your negotiation, tailor your offer or your counter offer to their needs. So again, like I said, it really, it really goes back to that listen and observe point where you have to really understand and know what their desires are, what their motivations are. Why are you selling? You know, I ask agents all the time, like, so why are they even selling? Like, what's going on? You know, they might tell you, like, look, an uh, asteroid came through the ceiling. You know what I mean? Or the, the tenant in the bottom unit is crazy and has, like, people coming over that are damaging the property. Whatever it may be, sellers sell properties for all types of reasons. Yeah. But if you don't know why, you're just in the dark and you can't make an offer and you can't negotiate according to their needs. Right. And what that does is it makes your offer or counter offer less desirable and they may jump out of escrow. Mm-hmm. Or they, okay, so technically, if you're in negotiations and sending offers and counter offers back and forth, Technically, they can't receive or take an offer from someone else, but everybody knows that they're always receiving offers from people. Mm -hmm. They just can't technically on paper entertain those offers until they're out of escrow with you. Mm -hmm. So you don't want them to hear something from someone else and then be like, you know what, like, let's close this whole situation and then move on because it just happens. (laughs) You don't want to miss out on a good deal because uh, you didn't understand what it is that they're looking for. so Right, and one thing that, uh, from my mentors, they always told us, you always you always want to figure out why they're selling and you want to press on those pain points. You always, especially in negotiations and, and talking to that uh, seller, 
you're always pressing, not always pressing, because you don't want to be manipulative, but you are tapping all those pain points. Like, look, I understand that you want to leave because, you know, somebody just passed away and you just want to be rid of this property. And I, I want to be the person that helps you do that. Right. You know I'm saying like, like, let's go ahead and move forward as quickly as possible, because I, I know that you just want this property off of your hands. So let's go ahead and, and take the steps to go ahead and do that. Speaking to that person's pain and letting them know that you are the solution to that pain point. You know, that can give you the advantage over uh, somebody who's just sending you an offers. They don't have they have no idea, you know, what's going on in this person's life. They're just trying to grab this property. If you have that connection with the seller, you know, what I'm saying you, you do have an advantage. So, yes, exactly. You definitely have an advantage. And then also, um, Joey touched on a connection with the seller. That's big because uh, you can get an offer approved just because there's a specific connection with you. It, it's not unheard of. It really does happen. Uh, honestly, what I think my first or my second deal ever that closed because I had a connection with that realtor. And because I had a connection with that realtor, he pushed for my offer to go through more so than the one they already had. Awesome. So it's a big thing. So like make that connection, understand their perspective and try to come from their point of view. It's really important. Mm. And number seven, be patient. <laughs> be patient. This is big, and I can't emphasize how big it is. Negotiations can take time. Avoid rushing decisions that might you might regret later on. So, I mean, I don't even know if I need to explain that much more than that. But you don't want to rush into a decision that... Later on, you're looking like, oh, okay, I was moving too fast. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't want to later figure out that because you skipped certain steps or you skipped points or you were in such a hurry to get this deal. And I get it. It's an exciting process, especially your first deal, first, second deal. Mm -hmm. Like all of us beginners, that stuff is fun and it's exciting. Mm -hmm. And you want to hurry up and close before something happens that makes you not close. Yeah. My mentor actually helped me with this because I used to be very, very trigger happy. And he was like, look, if it doesn't close, it's something else gonna close. But you can't be out here rushing and like letting stuff slide just because you wanna hurry up and close. You know what I mean? And it's a mentality you need to develop. Yeah. If you don't have it already, you need to develop that. Just be patient, make sure you see all angles Make sure you figure out your uh, your uh, your exit strategy. You know, figure all those things out. Don't be in a rush just to get a deal to for the sake of ha saying you have a deal. Right. So you know? something I did want to touch on because it's very important that that we haven't really talked about, but we needed we do need to discuss exit strategies mm -hmm. within mm -hmm. the contracts. But before we do that, I did want to uh, touch on what you said. Like one of my mentors, I said you you need to analyze it. You probably analyze a hundred deals before you know you find that one Ooh. that's just like the perfect one. I'm so glad so, you said that. Dude. So <laughs> it's for like you have to have as AD already alluded to. You have to set your criteria, right? And if these properties don't meet your criteria, no matter how great it looks, um, and or you know or how attractive that deal looks, if it's not fitting into your criteria, you pass on from it and you go to the next one. Uh, super important that you keep that mindset because then you're going to make sure you land in the perfect deal for you and you can, you know, you have everything or you know exactly how to manage this deal because it's the one that you prepared for and the one that you've uh, pretty much 
designed for yourself. Yeah, no, for real. Um, we touched on crystal clear criteria real quick. It goes back to that. If it's too far away from what you're, what you initially were trying to do or buy, and you can't negotiate it to that, you have to be willing to move on. You, like, and that's where being patient really comes into play. You have to be willing to look for the next one and just keep it pushing because most your offers, most things that come to your lap, they're not going to work out. It's just a fact of the matter. Like until you get to a point where your leads are just top notch and pristine, which most people don't have, almost nobody has just like leads that are always going to close. Most people don't, but the best investors understand the idea of volume. It's really about volume, putting out as many quality offers as possible and eventually one of them will land mm -hmm. and also developing relationships because if you can find uh the right uh, agents to work with and they know your criteria and they know that you're quick to close or whatever your strengths are they'll know your uh, investor criteria and anytime that they run across it they'll just send it your way yeah, so it'll yeah. be easy for you to just get into that next deal because they already know what you like that's actually my business model. So if you're looking to buy multifamily in Southern California, hit your boy, hey. AD the Fly Realtor, you know what it is. But no, he is right. Like if I know your criteria, I know how much you can spend, how much you have on hand and what kind of return you need or what kind of exit strategy you need, I'll just be, I can put in offers on your behalf or I can just send you deals and we can discuss if like that's something you wanna move forward with. Yeah. Um, number eight, this is counter offers. I put here, be prepared to negotiate back and forth. Don't be afraid to counter offer, but do so respectfully. Um, this is, uh, again, goes back to like being patient. Counter offers, so once I send an offer for your property, if they don't accept right away, but they don't just flat out uh, deny me, or they don't respond, but they send a counter back, if I don't agree with those terms, then I can send a counter back. That's really what counter offers are. And counter offers can continue. It's a, like a ping pong. Like, <laughs> it'll bounce back and forth, back and forth. Don't be afraid to keep sending out counter offers because you can eventually land on that one counter or like, again, so now saying this, it leads me to like want to tell you this. This is why this whole list is all important to use at the same time. You know what I mean? Because while you're sending the counter offers, you have to be patient. But then also while you're being patient, you have to set your priorities because you don't want to keep putting things in counter offers that don't matter to your bottom line. But then while you're doing that, you want to listen and, listen and observe to find out what it is that they need from the deal. So all these things kind of work synergistically. Yeah, that's the word, right? Yeah, synergistically. They all work together for uh, advantageous outcome. Mm. So that's why it's really important to really think about these things and use them for yourself and then make sure that your agent, if you have one, is on that kind of mindset because some agents aren't and some agents get annoyed and don't want to keep on going, but you have to be willing to go that extra mile to close on these deals, especially your first deal, because that's almost always going to be one of your hardest deals, that mm -hmm. first one. So just keep on going and don't give up. Like, right. really don't give it, up. It, it may be one of your hardest deals to get into, but it should be probably the the easiest investment that you're in because you have the criteria set to make it as easy as possible 
for you to succeed. You know what I mean? Right, right, so right. So that's probably exactly. why it's going to be your hardest because it needs to be a cookie cutter. Uh, it needs to be a cookie cutter uh, shape or it needs to fit your criteria perfectly. Right. right. And as you ex- get experienced as an investor, that's when you can kind of broaden take your on scope risks. and yeah. take on more risks because and then you can start accepting offers that aren't exactly cookie cutter, but you know how to work them. You know? Exactly. I like that. Um, last point, point number nine I have for you today, highlight your strengths. So whatever your strength may be, if you have no, con- no contingencies, keep reiterating that. If you uh, can close quickly, keep reiterating that. If you have a high EMD, which is a earnest money deposit, keep reiterating that because you want for whatever makes your offer potentially more appealing than another offer, you want to keep reminding them of that. You know what I mean? Because there may be some things in your offers or your counter offers that are a lot less desirable, but you have to stick to the things that make your offer desirable. Maybe you don't, maybe you don't have a high EMD. Maybe you, don't, um, maybe you can't close that quickly. Maybe you need 30 days. Maybe you need more than 30 days. But maybe what you can do is like guarantee that you will close. So that's a big deal. Like knowing that you can close, like that's something to iterate to the seller because not a lot of deals can't close. Mm-hmm. A lot of people get into deals maybe with a wholesaler or maybe with uh, somebody who's looking for something specific and those deals don't end up closing. If you can guarantee that you will close, that's that can entice somebody more. So don't be discouraged by whatever your offer is lacking, but stick to what your offer does have that is good for them. Because ultimately, that's going to be the thing that makes them decide, all right, I'm going to go with this offer. Or what happens often, they might not go with your offer, but they spin the block and they come back around when something else doesn't work out. And they're like, hey, you know what? Your offer doesn't look so bad after all. You know, it, trust me, it happens. It does. It happens a lot, especially yeah. dealing with distressed properties. They come back around and they're like, "Okay, maybe I was a little out of pocket. <laughs> I could have. I was tripping a little, like the one we missed out on. Yeah, man, this guy yeah. didn't want to take our offer. Oh, Turns out he should have taken our offer because he would have closed before he did uh, for more money too. For more money, because like I said, my numbers penciled out at closer to six hundred. Homie sold for five hundred. That's wild to me. I'm, like, <laughs> I'm really kind of upset about that, yeah, but I'm yeah. more upset at myself for even getting upset. Mm. If you know what I mean. Yeah, but anyway, right well, well, you know, we'll, we'll, <laughs> right. You know, we'll leave it. that's hey, the list, though. So one thing I did want to touch on because it's very important, especially going into uh, uh, investing, uh, to have to know your exit strategies. Right. right. Okay. Um, if you have a realtor, they can actually, they can actually, or or an agent that can actually help you construct that. But for those of you who want to go at it on your own, what are the best extra strategies to have in your contract? Um, in the contract specifically. So, or or, or or maybe not just in the contract specifically, but exit strategies. Period. Okay, so period. You just really, what you really want to do is you want to know what your goals are. So. Are you looking to buy and hold? You know what I mean? Or are you looking to flip it? Because that can drastically change how you proceed with that property. But also, 
knowing your exit strategies, you need to know that if stuff goes awry, like what is your capability? So let's say your plan was to buy and hold. You need to buy it at a price good enough or if you wanted to buy, if you wanted to buy at value and hold, you need to buy it at a price good enough that if it doesn't work out for you, you can still sell it at, for at least enough to get your money back. You want to be able to always get your money back. Ideally, you'd like to get more than what you put into it back. That doesn't always work out, but you need to always be able to get that money back because you want your capital. That capital is what can allow you to get another deal under contract. With capital, there's so much just options. You know what I mean? Maybe your strategy is, okay, I'm trying to flip it. So you need to know what kind of exit strategies you have Maybe the there there are scenarios where somebody will buy a property and their plan is to flip it. Excuse me, their plan is to flip it, but the economic climate changed or right. shifted on them, which it just and, did. Right, and now maybe instead of flipping it, they need to rent it out, mm-hmm. and the, it turns into a buy and hold. Right, and it actually happens more than you would think. You know, That's... these HGTV shows make you think that like, oh, when you flip it, you flip it, you get it, you spin it. But it's like, <laughs> nah, man, it doesn't always happen like that. So right. like, I was talking to a guy a couple months ago, and he was telling me that his last two properties that I want to say two, maybe it was three properties, he ended up needing to hold them and his plan was to flip them. Mm-hmm. So it made me think, okay, either one, he didn't do enough like work on the front end mm-hmm. to get into an asset that works for his goals, mm-hmm. or two, maybe things were just super rocking on him and super shifted and the climate changed and now he's like, I need to hold it. So he's now in a situation where, okay, he's trying to refinance, but these interest rates are doing what the interest rates are doing, right. and he's just—it's got—he's got a lot going on. He's so it it's a whole different situation. Well, that's the thing. Like I talked to a lot of investors who were investing back in 2008, and they said when the market, when the housing market crashed, mm-hmm. all their flips turned into just uh, fix and holds. Right. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. And that's, and that's the thing. Like, there's nothing wrong with pivoting your strategy, but you need to make sure you're in the correct market to do that. So, if, especially if this is your first investment, you. Uh, if I if I was going into it, I'd be like, okay, I want to make sure that if I have to flip this property, it's it's you know desire is in a desirable area mm-hmm. and there's a lot of activity um, of people buying property. Uh, there, I have to make sure that this area is robust in, in in the job market, so people would want to stay here. You know what I'm saying? So if I have to go into a buy and hold, I would I would automatically have tenants. Like I wouldn't have to look look that 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 hard. Right. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. So you would want to make sure you cover all bases. Just in case, you know, plan A doesn't work, uh, for sure. This is why I'm big on, like, the L.A. market or investing in metro areas. Mm -hmm. Just because it often allows for different exit strategies. Because if you can hold a property long enough, it's always going to rebound. You know what I mean? It may not rebound in the amount of time you wanted to or think that you needed to. But, like, properties in good areas or in metro areas... They always rebound. Like, and don't get me wrong. Like, <laughs> if you know your market, if you know how your market, wherever you are, uh, how it works, if you know that properties usually or property values usually do well there, and you're stuck in a buy and hold situation, you know that you just got to hold it for a little bit. You know, you what just got to hold it. Yeah, <laughs> and that's sometimes that's what it is. But it's yeah. like if you have decent rents in that area, hopefully, ideally, that could sustain your loan payment, or maybe you need to. 
yeah, you might need to figure it out. But right. the longer you can hold, the better you'll be. Um, one thing I always say is that the only two times the value of that property matters are when you buy it and when you sell it. Mm-hmm. Those are the only times. The whole time you're holding it in between, it doesn't matter as much. So if I'm renting it out and people are paying my mortgage, it doesn't matter what that property is worth. What matters is when you're ready to sell it. Mm-hmm. So don't get, if you can hold a property long enough, don't get too caught up in how much it is right now today. If you can sell it in a few years, that's when it really matters how much that property is worth at that time. Right. As long as it's cash flowing and you're able to pay your expenses and, you know, maybe you have a little bit on the side if you can. Yeah. But as long as you're able to, to sustain that property right. with that cash flow, you, you know, right. you, you can rock I mean, boat. like, I, I get what Joey's saying by cash flow, but technically cash flow means money for your pocket. I'm really of the mindset that even if it's not providing you extra money but the property completely debt services right which means it covers itself totally man that's a good property real right. talk because again if you're in a metro area rent next year is going to be higher mm. and everybody's rent is going up every single year mm. so <laughs> you know what i mean so maybe no, year one all it could do is cover itself year two you got a little bit of money for your pocket year three a little bit more by the time we get to year five and so on and so forth, you could start balling. And and, <laughs> and and God forbid you start using it as an STR. Come on, man. <laughs> shut, shut the door. Shut the door. Let but me anyways. tell you. Let me tell you. Well, then we're talking about a whole different ballgame, aren't we? Man, for real. For real. No, okay. he's so serious. I'm but, so um, serious. That's all I got for you guys today, man. Um, Yeah, that was great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the rest of our series. Um, cool. We're going to have another series further later on in the future going more in depth. Yeah. And we'll probably continue on from here. Maybe what you can do with the property after you have it. Yeah. You know, stabilizing that asset. We can we can even hop into a series about how to get into your first short-term rental and how to sustain it. You know what I mean? Ooh, yeah, so I like that. Because yeah, I got questions, boy. <laughs> you know I got questions for those STR dudes. Yeah, so I mean, let's hear it. There's a couple. Like We have that one. I even, I even uh, maybe even thinking about a credit series and how to, uh, you know, obtain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, for real. And velocity leverage, banking. Yeah, and leverage it yes. to to, you know fuel those investments but we got some stuff coming for you we got a lot of stuff coming man for real uh we say it all the time thank you everybody who's been on the journey with us so far um we appreciate you you know what i mean stick with us share the content and help us get this word out for real that part like follow subscribe ladies and gentlemen okay guys so ad's got our b for the day all right so the b for today is be clear So be clear, it goes back to that crystal clear criteria. Understand what you're looking for, what your goals are for that property, your exit strategy, how much you're trying to put down, what your purchase price is, all those things. You need to be clear. So that way when you get um, a property across your desk and it's not what you need, you can move on. And being clear is also going to help you not get into an asset that's not going to serve you in your future. Mm. Because let me tell you something. You can be clear on your goals, you can be clear on your criteria, and still end up with a property that's not working out. Mm. So if you're operating and you're not clear, it's only going to be worse for you. So be clear. Mm. Be clear, be you, and be uncommon. Uncommon, a state of mind was hosted by my best friend, Joey, and myself, A.D., 
two guys who started at the back of the queue in real estate, and now we want to give back by showing others the way to get in through the front door. Feeling inspired and looking to get your investment portfolio up and running so you can join the party in style? Hit us up at info at uncommonestateofmind.com and we can start talking. If you enjoy the show, please spread the word and show some love in the ratings so we could climb those charts together. Until next time, be uncommon. Uncommon.